Good morning, Valley Bible Church. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. What a great Savior we have. And it's awesome to worship Jesus through song and through prayer. And I'm excited to continue this worship service as we look at the scriptures together and hear what God has to say from us through his word. Now, Pastor Paul and Pastor Larry and I, we've been going through a series in the Gospel of John, and the first part of that series took us through the first chapter called The Sent Ones, and now we're looking at this series called Jesus the Revolutionary. Jesus the Revolutionary. And as we get started today, I have one word that I want you to think about. And it's not a word that you're going to like very much, but yet I think it's a word that's going to help us grasp exactly what God wants us to hear today. And that word is canceled. Canceled. I mean, if there was ever a word in 2020 that we probably all have some disdain for, it's the word canceled. We've seen graduations canceled. We've seen sporting events canceled. Movie previews canceled. We've seen concerts canceled. So many things that we love and enjoy, events canceled. Some have just some entertaining significance. Some have much broader significance. But that's been our story this year is that so much that we're used to and that we enjoy has been canceled because of COVID-19. It seems like every other day, something else we were planning on has been canceled. I, for one, am a big sports fan, and I'm hoping that the upcoming football season does not get canceled. But it's not just events that are getting canceled right now. You see, we, we, we could put up with maybe an event getting canceled from time to time, but, but what's more serious that we're seeing in our day and age is that it's not just events that get canceled, it's people who are getting canceled. I read an article recently uh, from someone who's the, the president of Ravi Zachariah Ministries, and he wrote a, a post in, in the Gospel Coalition blog, and it said this uh, about this cancellation culture that we're living in today. It says this, it was once the case that differing opinions, including ones that challenge culturally approved mores, were debated with facts and sound argumentation. Now, when a person does or says something that runs afoul of current cultural preferences, we cancel that person. We shut him or her down with names, with epithets and ad hominem attacks or emotional attacks. If he or she's a musician, we call for the boycott of his or her music. If he or she's an athlete, we delight in burning his or her jersey and posting the bonfire on social media. We now hoist the socially guilty onto a pike for all to see as they writhe, justly deserving what they have gotten uh, for the offense. Be warned, we won't engage with your ideas any longer. We will engage you and shame you out of existence. You will be canceled. Canceled. And that's what we're seeing all over the place. We're seeing people with different ideologies and, and different perspectives on the world and different political views canceling one another out. The left 
is canceling the right. Republicans are canceling Democrats and vice versa. If we don't agree, if we don't agree with someone, the easiest thing to do is just say, unfriend, canceled. And we're seeing that the conflict is rising in our culture. How are we supposed to respond to these conflicts? How are we supposed to respond to these debates and, and the arguments of this world? Not just on the political scene, not just on a grand scale, but I'm talking about the stuff that we see from one another and with our friends and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers on social media and our neighborhoods when we go on walks having a cup of coffee together and we realize that we don't see eye to eye. We see statues coming down. We see history erased. We see that if we don't like you and if we don't agree with you, we will cancel you. How do we respond to the arrows that this world points at each other and they're letting them go one by one? How do we respond? Do we take out our bow and our arrows and start shooting right back and saying, canceled, canceled, canceled? How are we to respond as followers of Jesus in a world full of cancellations? Certainly, if you've got your eyes open, you see so much brokenness and so much wickedness, but how are we supposed to respond? Is it Christian to cancel anyone? Well, if we're going to answer that question, we first have to ask, does God cancel anyone? Whom has he canceled? If he's canceled anyone, who is it that he's canceled and should we follow suit? Now, last week in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, Pastor Paul gave us this understanding that if anybody wants to enter into God's kingdom, into his family, he or she must be born again or born from above. And we saw this conversation between Jesus and this very important religious leader named Nicodemus. And they went back and forth in a late night conversation together. And Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, if you want to be in the kingdom, you must be born again. But we come to verse 16. Verse 16 in John chapter 3, and if you're familiar with the scriptures, if you're familiar with American Christianity, you probably have heard John three sixteen. But what I believe we get here in, in these verses, verses 16 through 21, is a pause. John pauses the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and he says, now I want to point something very important out to you. It's almost if, as if John says, now hold on a second, I want us to zoom out for a moment, and I, don't, I want you to get a picture of the forest. You see, Jesus is talking with one tree, Nicodemus, but he says, pause, now zoom out, and I want you to get a perspective on the forest. I want you to understand here God's mission, not just to Nicodemus, John the gospel writer and the evangelist is saying, I want you to get a picture of what God's mission is to the entire world. What is God's response to the brokenness and the wickedness of this world? Is it cancellation? I mean, what inspired this revolutionary mission that Jesus was sent to accomplish? The big idea this morning, if you want to take this down, is this. Cancellations don't inspire revolutions. Cancellations don't inspire 
revolutions. And as we zoom out here in these verses, I think it's important for us to pause ourselves for a moment and ask for God to give us help in understanding the Scriptures today. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Father in heaven, you've given us your word, and we need it desperately. We live in a cancel culture, and and I know for me, I want to see what is your response to the brokenness and darkness of this world. We believe that, that you've spoken in your word, in the Bible, this holy scripture that you've given to us, and we believe that you'll turn on the light switch of our minds and in our hearts as we read the scriptures here this morning. Please help us to understand, open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things out of your law. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verses 14 and 15 before we move on to 16 to 21 together. Let's read. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And we see right here at the beginning of this passage, John 3, 16, and I can't wait to get to this verse. But before we do, I want us to get a picture of why this verse is so significant. So if you would... uh, indulge me for a moment. We're going to set John 3.16 down just for a moment, and we're going to take a look at verses 17 to 21. And, And before we ask the what did God do, we want to understand why did God do it. And I think as we look at the why, it will help us better understand the purpose for the what. And that's where we're going to begin, the purpose of this mission the purpose of the mission that God sent Jesus to do. And it's, it's right there in verse 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That word for there is like a logical explanation. When you see the word for, often in the Scriptures, it's really a way that the author is explaining what you had just read. And so we see that in verse 16, explaining verses 14 and 15. But we also see that in verse 17, explaining verse 16. Hopefully you're following along. Four in verse 17, and this is the explanation of John 3.16. And we'll come back to that, but we're going to approach the why first. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, Jesus was sent on a mission. And that sent is the same word that we get for apostle or messenger. He was sent into the world on a mission as God's messenger. And we see that this mission, first we see what it is not for. What is not the purpose for this mission that Jesus was sent on? He was not sent to condemn the world. 
Now, this word condemn, it's, it's similar to the word judge. In fact, it's the same word, but in certain contexts, it carries a, a little bit of a different nuance. And so it says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. And so it's this idea of judging, not just to judge as wrong, but to bring punishment along with that judgment. So we could say that Jesus, his mission was not to come into the world to condemn and punish the world, so that what positively was his mission? Why did Jesus come? Why did God send his son? Not to condemn, it goes on to say in verse 17, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the purpose for why Jesus came. He came into the world so that the world would be saved in him. So that the world would be delivered in him. So that the world would be rescued in him. You could think of Jesus and his coming as a rescue mission. He came to save the world. That's why he was sent. So the first part of this, this why, the purpose of Jesus' mission is, is very clearly and simply stated, as John so often does, he states things so succinctly and simply, is that Jesus' mission wasn't to come and punish and condemn the world. Jesus' mission was to come to save the world. That was his mission. And although he could have come to condemn the world, that would have been perfectly legitimate. He didn't come for that reason. You see, if there was anybody walking around on the, in the world that actually had the chops, that could have been worthy to go around and saying, you're condemned, you're condemned, you're condemned, it would have been Jesus. He's the perfectly holy and righteous one. And if anybody could have done it, it could have been Jesus. You see, God is holy and righteous, and humanity, you and me, by our very nature, we are rebellious and sinful. So if there was anybody that had the right to go around canceling people, it would have been Jesus. But that wasn't his mission. His mission wasn't to come and condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now let's just think about verse 17 just for a moment. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If we, if we took that verse just by itself, we could come to the conclusion that no one will be condemned and everyone will be saved. Now, there are some uh, who call, call themselves Christians that believe that. They believe it's called universalism. They, they believe that because God is so loving, he would never judge and never condemn anybody, but that his love extends in such a way that he, he actually makes everybody saved. But that's, that's not what we see in the following verses. Verse 18 explains that and answers that question for us. Will everyone then be saved? We get that answer in verse 18. Again, it says, John three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned. Ah, oh, now we've got a qualification. Now we understand who is it then that aren't condemned. If, if some people are condemned and some people aren't, who are the ones that aren't condemned? This qualification is this, you've believed in the Son of God. That's the only qualification. Believing in the Son, who is Jesus Christ, this, this believing, it's an action word for the word in, in the New Testament for faith or belief. And it's not just faith in Jesus like, 
I, I, I believe in George Washington, that he was the first president of the United States. It's a faith that's into Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus in a deep way, in a way that identifies myself with him. I'm trusting in him. I'm relying upon the Son of God to rescue me from condemnation. You see, it's enough to believe that you've got a life raft or, or a life ring just a few feet away, and it's another thing to actually reach out and grab a hold of it. And those who aren't condemned are those that say, yes, I have believed in the Son of God. I've received him as my own. That's the qualification. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Condemned already. Already condemned. Do you see it there in verse 18? Whoever does not believe is condemned already. This is an amazing statement, and it really helps us understand what it is that Jesus sent on mission to do. He didn't have to walk around canceling people and condemning people. Why? He could have, but he didn't. Part of the reason why is because that was the state that he already found the world in. They were already condemned before Jesus even came on the scene. What does this condemnation, this canceling look like? The Bible describes this condemnation as the wrath or anger of God toward people. But but we have to be careful here because we can think that this condemnation is a real active condemnation and that people are just neutral, that people are just sitting there and they caught God on a bad day and he's just really angry and he's just in a really bad mood and he says, condemned, 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 before Jesus even gets on the scene. But what we find here is that Jesus comes on the scene and he's finding people that are already condemned, not because they're neutral and God is just inherently angry, but because they're sinful, they're unrighteous, they're rebellious. The Bible describes humanity as as actually enemies of God. So this condemnation, it's it's not just arbitrary or willy-nilly. Humanity didn't just catch God in a bad mood one day. No, God's wrath is his response to humanity's rebellion against him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.18, talking about the human condition, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men or humanity, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, this condemnation that already rests on humanity is God's response to our unrighteousness. If you turn over to John chapter 3, verse 36, the end of this chapter that we're, we're looking at today, it says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, But the wrath of God remains or stays on him. You see, there's wrath that already resides on people because of our unrighteousness. And those who do not receive the Son of God, God's wrath remains on that person. 
You see, Jesus didn't come to cancel or condemn humanity. He didn't have to. That, was, that wasn't his purpose. No, it wasn't Jesus' mission. It wasn't necessary because humanity was already condemned because of their sin and rebellion against God. And the only escape from this condemnation, the only hope that we have, is the mission of Jesus. And by believing in him, he is the escape route. He is the way out to escape from condemnation. Goes on to say in John 3:18, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, and here's why, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's Jesus coming onto the scene, and he says, I am not here to condemn or to cancel anybody. In fact, I've already found them condemned, but I'm here to say, I've come to save you. Will you believe in me so that you can be rescued from condemnation and have eternal life? The cause of the condemnation remaining is a failure of the part, not of Jesus, but on the failure of the part of that person to not entrust himself or herself to Jesus. So they're condemned and they're shut out of eternal life. So now we've, we've seen the purpose of this mission. The purpose of this mission was to come and save the world. That's why Jesus came. He found a condemned race, and he said, I'm here to give you eternal life. Well, quickly, we're going to move on to chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. We've seen the, the purpose of this mission, but, but what about this judgment that John talks about? What's the process of this judgment? How is it that people continually get judged because of their sin? And he's going to show that to us, and he's going to use a metaphor of light and darkness, John three nineteen to 21. Why is it that some believe and receive this, this gift, this purpose of this mission of salvation, and others are condemned? Why is it? We get an introduction into the purpose, or the, excuse me, the process of this judgment. Verse 19, it says, that light has come into the world. Light has come into the condemned world. What is that light? Well, we saw in the very first verses of, of the Gospel of John, as, as Pastor Paul helped us understand, in, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him who is the Word, who is Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Ah, so we see that in the Son is life, and, and John is saying that Jesus is that light. Well, what about Jesus? Did he believe that as well? Well, we see in John chapter 8, verse 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light of God embodied in Jesus who is the Son of God brings all purity and truth and knowledge about God to the one who needs to know. And that's you and that's me. Jesus is that light. So the light has come into the world. Where do we see it? We see it embodied in Jesus. But then it goes on to say in verse 19, even though that light has come, people loved the darkness rather than the light. They loved the darkness 
rather than the light. What a statement. Think, think about being on a camping trip out in the middle of the woods and, and you've got to go out because nature calls and you've got to leave your tent. Well, I'll tell you what, if I'm going out there, I want a light. Could you imagine saying, no, I don't need that light. I love the darkness. I love tripping over logs. I love tripping all over the place. And hey, you know what? If there's a bear behind that tree, hey, go for it, man. I love the darkness. It's foolishness. But people loved the darkness. The darkness is that state of living under the lie and deception of Satan and the evil rebellion and attitudes and behaviors of this world. People love the darkness. They love living without a knowledge of God. Why is that? Why do they love the darkness so much? John, again, gives us more answers to our questions. He says, because, in verse 19, because their works were evil. Here's the key to the whole process of, of judgment. Jesus has come as light in the darkness of our condemnation, but people loved the darkness because their works and deeds and attitudes and behaviors are evil. Rejection of the light is not an intellectual thing. It's not an academic issue. You don't reject Jesus because you don't have light. You reject him because you love darkness. That's why people are judged, because they love the darkness. You see, this is, an, this is not an academic issue. It's not a knowledge issue. It's a moral issue. The world doesn't live in darkness by chance. We live in darkness by choice. We love our evil deeds. Finally, in verses 20 to 21, I want to get to our special verse, John 3, 16, but just setting the table here. It says in verses 20 to 21 that everyone who does wicked things doesn't just love the darkness, they hate the light. And they do not come into the light lest his work should be exposed in a shameful way. I don't want to experience the guilt and shame of allowing my evil deeds and my evil attitudes and my rebellion and behavior to be exposed before God because I know that's going to bring guilt and shame on me. So I hate the light. I love the darkness. I can keep doing what I want to do and I hate the light. This is the process of the judgment. Every time the light is shown before someone, they say, I don't want it. I hate it. I want the darkness. We want to live in the darkness so we wouldn't have to feel that guilt and shame of living in the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light for the purpose that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, this whoever person, they don't hate the light and love the darkness. No, this person, they love the light. They come close to the light. This is the person who's been, as Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you've been born again. You are born from above. You've believed in the name of the Son of God, and they say, I love this light. This is, this is the escape from the condemnation. The one who's in the Son says, I love the light. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
this person that's believed in the Son, they see Jesus as the light and they love him. Those who love the darkness will hate the light, will hate Jesus. This is the judgment that's common to the world. So we've seen the, the purpose of God's mission in sending Jesus. We've seen the why. And we've seen the process of this judgment that people are, are given the light, the good news about Jesus, and they say, no, I, I love my darkness and I hate that light. I don't want my works exposed. But those who receive Jesus have eternal life. They escape the condemnation that is already on the world because of our sin. So to, so to summarize John chapter 3, verses 17 to 21, we could say Jesus' mission, his being sent, was to show God's love to the world, not to judge it, no. Jesus is the light that came into the world, and, and judgment is based upon people's response to him, response to the light. Those who reject the light of the sun are already condemned to perish because their deeds are evil, and they love the darkness, and they want to remain there. But those who do good, those who believe in the Son, are happy to approach the light because they've obeyed the message of the Son. This is the why. This, this gives us the understanding of, of God's purpose in the world in sending Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to cancel anyone. No, he came to save the world. That's his purpose. That was his mission. So we've seen the why. We've seen why Jesus came. But now we have to take a look at the what. How did God then respond to humanity? What did he do? You see, we, we've seen so far that the condemnation already exists. And if Jesus had come to condemn us, there would have been no revolution. There would have been no eternal life because our big idea again this morning is this. Cancellations don't inspire revolutions. Jesus came to the world. That's the yous and the me's and the us's. He came to humanity and he could have just said, canceled. We were already condemned. And although that light was shining, we hated him and we loved our darkness so much. If there was anyone righteous enough to cancel us out, it was Jesus. And if there were any people worthy of being canceled, it was you and it was me and it was us. But cancellations don't inspire revolutions. And Jesus, Jesus, this son of God, came to be. A revolutionary. So what did God do about it? What did God do about it? We come now to probably the most famous verse in all of modern Christianity, all of American Christianity certainly, John 3, 16. We're going to see what God did about this condemned world. And uh, for those of you that have made maybe have seen John 3, 16, you've probably seen it like this before. I know I have, watching Monday night football or some public event or basketball game or concert, and, and people love, that love Jesus, love to make a sign just like this so they could share this good news message with those who need to hear it. John three sixteen. Certainly, it's a famous, famous passage. And, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably seen a sign like this before. 
John 3.16. But for fear of, of it being so common, and it have gone through our ears and out the other, as Pastor Larry said earlier in this service, many of us have been learning this from an early age in Sunday school. Uh, it's the first word that our kids in our Awana Bible program learn. Uh, I mean, it's a verse that all of us know, most of us know anyway, so well. And you could recite it along with me right now, wherever you're sitting, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16. We just saw the why of Jesus' mission. Now let's take a look at the what. It says, for God so loved the world. And oftentimes we interpret that to mean that God loved the world so much. And and that certainly is true, but I, I don't think that's the right way to look at this verse. Really what John is saying is God loved the world in this way. Here's how you could see the demonstration of God's love. So it's not so much about the quantity of God's love, but how he manifested it. So when you see God so loved the world, think God loved the world in this way. But, but before we move on, just think about that. Think about that phrase. God loved the world. God loved the world. Friends, that statement by itself is revolutionary. God loved the world. We we say it so often when we recite this verse, but we need to pause and meditate on that phrase right there. God loved the world. What does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, according to the context of these verses, is that God loved the world unconditionally. Unearned undeserved. We just saw in the verses that follow just how bad and just how dark and just how wicked and condemned this world is. We love the darkness. We love our sin. We hate the light. But God loved the world. It's unconditional. It's unearned. It's undeserved. There isn't anything about the you's and the me's and the us's that God said, yeah, they're a pretty bunch. I think I'll love them. Value isn't in how worthy we are. The value is in the fact that God loves the world unconditionally. For God so loved the world, that love was unconditional, but it also means that God so loved the world impartially. His love was impartial. You see, the scriptures are clear that that God loves the righteous, right? I mean, that's clear. That should be obvious. He loves those who do good. Of course he does. In the Old Testament, we have clear evidence that God loved his people, Israel, his chosen people. God loved the Jews. He looked out for them. He cared for them all throughout their history. But now we see something revolutionary. And as John writes this, it would have blown the minds of his readers That God loves the world impartially. His love extends to every person on this planet. 
It doesn't belong, it doesn't belong, this love doesn't belong just to one group. It doesn't belong just to one creed. It doesn't belong just to one race or ethnicity or moral standard. No, God loves undeservedly, unconditionally, and he loves impartially, not just the people of Israel, but for all the world. Friends, this is revolutionary. This is good news. Many of us would have been shut out of God's covenant love, but he says, no, that's not enough. I'm sending my son Jesus so this love would extend by his mission to the whole world. God loved the world. It's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. Well, what was the result of that love? Was it just a feeling in his heart? No, it was led to action. John three sixteen again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. This is the result of that unconditional, that impartial love that said, boy, I sure do love him. I'm going to do something. Son, go. The son says, I will go. Father and Son together saying, we are on a mission to show love to this world. This is the result of the love of God. Because he loves the world, he acted, he gave. What about this gift of the Son of God? What about this gift? There's there's three things you could see about this gift. First of all, this love gift was personal. It was personal. He gave. God the Father gave. God the Father sent his son. The son accepted the mission to come to the earth to rescue the world. They didn't say, you know what, we better hire UPS to send this gift. No, they said, no, we're going to deliver it ourselves. It's so personal, a personal gift. Well, this gift, this love gift also was sacrificial. It says the father gave his only son. How are we to understand this giving? What does that mean? Well, that giving is clarified from chapter 3, verse 14. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That's what it means that the father gave the son. He gave the son to be lifted up on the cross to make the perfect sacrifice through his death for all time that would free us from the penalty of our sin. The father sacrificed the son and the son sacrificed himself. For God so loved the world that he personally and sacrificially and thirdly, He gave a costly gift. This gift was costly. The father gave his only son, monogenes, and many older translations would say his only begotten son, but really the best translation there is his only, one and only unique and precious son. Jesus was the unique and precious son of the Father. There was nothing and no one more precious that the Father could have given to demonstrate his love for us than to give us his son, the highest cost that it would cost God would be to give us his son. Amazing. A sacrificial gift, a personal gift, a costly gift. The Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An unconditional love. An impartial love. A gift that was personal. A gift that was sacrificial. A gift that was costly for you and for me and for us. And the purpose was this, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There was only one way to make it possible for whoever to come into this family and experience eternal life. And that was only if God would love us and if only would God send his son and he did it so that we may have eternal life and not perish under the condemnation that we deserve. You see, this gift brought good to the object of his love. It wasn't something that we didn't need. It was something that we needed desperately. He saw us in our need, and Jesus met us right there. That's the mission of Jesus. That's eternal life. John 17, verse 3, Jesus, he says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Friends, this is eternal life. This is what it means to be born again in this life with implications and ramifications now, and it lasts for all of eternity. We have eternal life because God loved the world. And because God loved the world, he gave his only son. I want to ask you, do you see it? Do you, do you see it? I mean, we've, We've, we've looked at John 3, 16 a thousand times. It's so easy to get hung up with this verse that we've heard nearly ad nauseum. I know so many kids, you know, we, we give them a reward. Does anybody know a verse? We'll throw them a piece of candy. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. But do we pause and really get it? Do we see the love of God on display? See, our big idea today is that cancellations don't inspire revolutions. Only the love of God can. The only way that this world is ever going to see any change isn't through cancellations. It isn't through rejections. It isn't pushing people who are loving the darkness and, and those that are already condemned. It's not by pushing them away because that's not what Jesus did. Cancellations, they, there is no revolution if Jesus came and said, canceled. The only way that we get to experience a revolution is through the love of God. This is the story of the scriptures. You see, this is, this is certainly revolutionary as John is writing this, but it's, it's not new. It's not new. This is the story of the scriptures. God loves the world. I'm not ashamed to say it, and I hope you're not either. There's some traditions that say, well, maybe God loves that person. It depends on, you know, on their response. It depends on are they chosen. No, it's clear right here. God loves the world. It's the message of the scripture. It's the message that God wanted to have conveyed to humanity so badly that he made sure that he repeated it over 
and over and over and over again. Where is it repeated? Where did it start? Where did this idea that God loves the world even start? Do you know what the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible is? Our most quoted verse is probably John 3.16. But what's the verse that the Bible quotes in itself more than any other verse? I'll go ahead. I'll give you a few seconds. Maybe you even want to hit pause and you can think about that for a moment. This is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. And it goes like this. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. As God was getting ready and he, and he, he saw his people Israel, they had just bowed down to an idol and rebelled against God and he could have wiped them out, but Moses is there on the mountain and saying, that's not in, in accord with your nature, God. I want to see you, God. And God says, fine, I'm going to show you my backside and I'm going to tell you my name. This is the most quoted verse in the Bible, the thing that God wants us to hear and know about himself more than anything else. Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says this, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. He gave his name, his personal name, and here's who I am. I'm a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no, uh, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see that there's condemnation there, but the first thing out of God's mouth is this. I don't want you to be condemned. I want you to know that I'm a God loves. Chesed, steadfast love. We fast forward to John 3.16. It's the same message that God has been declaring over and over and over throughout the Bible. I love the world. We deserve to be canceled, but God showed his love. His love is unconditional. His love is impartial. His love is personal. His love is sacrificial. And his love is costly. And it started a revolution for those who have believed in the Son that we may have eternal life. Life with God forever. There are words and songs that we sing. We, we just sang it, thank you for loving me and I feel like we could pause right now and start a, a whole fresh praise service. We're not going to do that, but, but boy, when you think about this love, I hope it inspires your heart to worship, to bow before Him, to say, Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I didn't deserve it, I deserve to be canceled, but you said cancellations don't inspire revolutions, only my love can. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you for loving me. Well, we started out this sermon, and this is in closing, we started out this sermon asking, what are we to do about living in this cancel culture? And if we're to understand how we're to live, we probably ought to ask, how would God respond? I don't think there's a clearer passage in all the Bible that would help us see how God responded to a condemned culture better than John 3, 16 to 21. 
And I think that that then is the model and the example for us. You see, the the love of God, it, it moves us to sing his praises and to trust in him more deeply with all our hearts. But it cannot, it must not end there, friends. It must not end with believing and praising. It has to go to the next step. You see, Jesus was sent as the demonstration of God's love for the world, but he wasn't the only one that was sent. After Jesus rose from the dead, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have now become the sent ones. The mission of God to the world began with Jesus, but it's been passed on to you and to me and to all who are a follower of Jesus, those who have believed in his name and received eternal life. And that mission is to demonstrate God's undeserved, impartial, personal, sacrificial, and costly love to this world. John said it again in, in, in his letter to some churches in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Sounds a lot like John 3:16, right? In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or sacrifice for our sins. Now listen to this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That mission, that baton of the mission of Jesus has been passed to you and to me and to all who have eternal life. I love 1 John 3.16, and it's helpful to remember, if you know John 3.16, you could go to 1 John 3.16. It's the completion of this thought. By this we know, love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, since cancellations don't inspire revolutions, we must be on a mission to display the revolutionary love of God. This is our response, not cancellations, but love, sacrificial love, costly love, unconditional love, impartial love. If we really believe, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, then we must be eager to live out 1 John three sixteen. Because he loved, he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. I want to challenge you this week. For those of you that are a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you. We, we live in a cancellation culture. And it's so easy to get frustrated, so incredibly frustrated with those in our culture that seem to have their arrows pointed at us all the time. They're canceling us left and right and the response is so easy to respond back to them and say, you are canceled to me. But that's not our response because it wasn't God's response. And I want to challenge you this week. I have a feeling, a hunch, that many of us are going to continue to experience this kind of hatred and cancellation that we're experiencing all over the place. 
I want to ask you this week, when, when you feel those feelings, when you feel like you want to fight back, you want to respond with, with hatred and with cancellation, remember that cancellations don't inspire revolutions. Only the love of God can. I want you to think about somebody that has just maybe frustrated you so much. Maybe it's a politician, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. And instead of canceling them, take time this week to pray for that person. Pray for that person. Pray that God would allow them to see the love that he's displayed in his son. And then also pray for yourself and say, Lord, show me how it is that you want me to follow in your steps to demonstrate love to them. That's your challenge this week. Because he loved us, we love him. Cancellations don't start revolutions. Only the love of God can. And finally, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you a question. Why don't you receive the Son? Have you seen the love of God displayed here in these verses? Now, now many of you may feel like, you know what, I, I'm waiting until the end of my life. Maybe the good will outweigh the bad and the balances. But we saw from this text that you're condemned already. Why don't you just accept it and say, there's nothing I can do to inherit eternal life on my own. I want to ask you, would you believe in the Son Believe in that gift of love that God has given to you in his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in him, trust in him, rely on him so that you could escape the condemnation and have eternal life. Once you receive him today, today, call on him right now as I close in prayer. Father in heaven, we live in a world that is so eager to cancel each other. If we don't agree, the easiest thing to do is just cancel each other out. But I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't come to cancel us. He came to rescue us. He came to save us. He came to give us eternal light. He came to, to be the light and to give us life. Father, for those of us that have already placed their faith in Jesus, please give us a great deep sense of this great love so that we would say, I am now given that mission. Who is it that God has called me to love today? Father, give us strength. This week we will be tempted to want to cancel people left and right. Show us your love. Help us to see it clearly with our eyes so that we would demonstrate that great, great love to others. And Father, for that one right now, that is condemned, that has never received the Son of God, that has never believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, for rescue and deliverance from condemnation. Oh, Father, please, I pray right now, let them call upon your name and say, I believe in the Son of God. Let them have eternal life. Give them new birth. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you've received Jesus Christ today, we invite you to send us an email, call us on the phone. We want to connect with you, tell you about the next steps in following Jesus, and at the very least, we hope to see you again next week. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. What a great, loving God we serve. We'll see you next time.